This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, January 12, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. Now that Congress has done a form of tax reform, what are the spending cuts? Jonathan Bidlack of the Coalition to Reduce Spending discusses some opportunities to cut federal spending, but he admits there isn't much appetite for it on either side of the aisle. So we got tax reform of a sort in uh, December, and the one of the claims about it was that it was going to save a whole bu- a lot of people a lot of money, and somehow that did not earn any Democratic votes. And so now we're on to the far more difficult subject of restraining spending somehow. And I can't imagine that Republicans, even among their own caucus, will uh, have a great deal of success getting their own people to vote for substantial spending restraint. What do you think? Well, I think that's probably a good assessment. I think the question is uh, always a matter of when, right? So this is an election year. So you're right. You know, I don't think uh, there's, it's it's not like Republicans are going to go and say, let's do fundamental social security reform this year. But I do think there are ways to advance uh, and sort of deal with our our long-term more structural spending problem. There are, there's an opportunity for, you know, budget reform um, and maybe, um, you know, just sort of, being able to put some checks in ways and start having people think a little bit more about about trade-offs. Um, there are some opportunities for sort of um, broader scale reforms that wouldn't necessarily force those discussions to happen, you know, within the next year. Um, and I do think you know, there are other areas of good news too. I mean, if you look at, uh, for example, David Norquist, the new Undersecretary of Defense, has announced there will be a Pentagon audit. You know, that's an issue that uh, many, many organizations have fought for for you know probably going on two decades now. And so, um, you know, is that going to result in spending restraint at the Pentagon? Probably not. But it's uh, it's the first step, I think. And so, you know, we're obviously always looking for these low hanging fruit where we can find them. Does the fact that spending has gone up at the Pentagon, it's actually one of the things that Donald Trump said he wanted to do right off the bat when he uh, came into office, uh, does the fact that that has occurred, does it make it less likely to get some spending restraint in other areas? Uh, I don't know that it's necessarily that tied together, but I mean, there's no doubt that you know this president made a lot of promises, and a lot of those promises require more more funding. Uh, and so, you know, I don't know that uh, necessarily just because the Pentagon has gotten that additional 54 billion that that means that everyone else is going to get get an increase. But it certainly makes the case for spending restraint more difficult. I mean, this is always the Republican challenge, right? Is that you know you would never say, well, we need better educational outcomes, so let's give 54 billion dollars more to the Department of Education. Education. But then, you know, whenever we talk about wanting to have stronger national defense, we always equate uh, additional resources for the, you know, the the administrative staff at the Pentagon as somehow somehow uh, bringing about those outcomes. So, um, you know, again, I don't know, I don't know that they're too related, but I think uh, I think you're what you're pointing to is the fact that we're not really in a situation where there seems to be a whole lot of commitment to to restraining spending. So, where do you see? The opportunities, uh, at least on a perhaps a bipartisan basis, but even on just a party line vote where spending restraint could be introduced. So there has been some discussion of uh, welfare reform. Now, obviously, welfare is not the uh, the driver of our national debt, or at least not by itself. Um, but there has been some discussion of that, whether or not it's still on the table, and or, or whether focus has been shifting more toward you know some large infrastructure package. I, I'm not sure. That's anyone's guess at this point. Um, but perhaps, and 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 you know, and and also. 
you know, what exactly would be included in some sort of welfare reform package is unclear, right? I mean, it's, there's the possibility of some broader scale entitlement reform. I mean, uh, the Washington Post reported last month, uh, uh, you know, in an interview with Paul Ryan, you know, basically saying that that he's been talking to the president and working with him to sort of get him to recognize the full scale of our um, of our, our you know financial uh, or fiscal issues. And so perhaps there's some opportunity there. I don't know, but uh, that's at least what's on the docket. I think right at this moment, um, beyond that, you know, there aren't a whole lot of, I think, concrete things to, to really point to. I mean, we have basically the, the latest CR will run out in, in a couple weeks and, uh, you know, presumably there will be some uh, some new package. There's been there's been talk of, of lifting the budget caps and making them, uh, uh, you know, just making it easier to, to spend more because as, as we've talked about sometimes ad nauseum, you know, Republicans want to see see more uh, Pentagon spending and, and the Democrats want to see more, you know, so-called non-defense discretionary. And so, uh, you know, there isn't a whole lot beyond sort of the the discussions that have taken place with respect to welfare specifically. What about the original sin of Medicaid, the federal match? It would seem to be easier to make cuts to that program if the program were uh, a just a straight up appropriation. It could, that could be true. I mean, of course, we know from from you know the the discussions and debates that went on with respect to Obamacare repeal that uh, that became a sticking point, right, for uh, for Susan Collins. And so, um, whether or not you know we're going to see that, I don't I don't know. I mean, obviously, one of the biggest uh, selling points of of the tax bill from a spending standpoint is that it did repeal the individual mandate, which uh, uh, you know CBO and many others have scored as as being a, a pretty substantial spending cut. And so. Um, that is potentially valuable, um, uh, you know. But whether or not we're going to get anything more beyond that, I think is is going to be hard to say. And and if you if you look at what happened in the healthcare debate, it was you know it doesn't doesn't leave me too optimistic. All right. So you know, I feel like we have the same discussion every few months about uh, what opportunities there are. And so I'll say this again: What appetite is there for a global spending cap? to, you know, compel Congress to say, to look at what came in the door and then say, this is what we have to spend. You know, I so uh, <laughs> that's a, a loaded question. So, so first of all, with respect to sort of outside advocacy groups and think tanks, I think the appetite is very much there, right? Most people who who study these issues, you realize that it's not enough to just say we're going to elect a few people who are a little bit better um, and hope that they go and, and cut spending. The reality is that our elected officials need to ultimately be compelled to confront the tra- uh, uh, you know spending in terms of and, and think of it in terms of trade-offs. And uh, until there's something that really compels them to do that, uh, you know, it's unlikely that they're going to go and, and do so of their own volition. Um, now, I do think that you know there there has been um, there have been some working groups that have been formed in the House to talk about uh, debt limit reform and sort of broader budgetary reform tied to that. What will actually come of it, I don't know. Um, but you know, this is I can tell you. I mean, you know, I've been in meetings this year where I have not been the first person to use the phrase Swiss debt break, uh, and so that's actually kind of exciting. That's the first time in probably the last five years that I can say that's happened. Again, whether or not, you know, anything substantive will come of it, of course, I'm as skeptical as you are. But I do think there is this increasing realization that when you want to address these issues, it's not enough to just say, oh, hey, we need to cut this program or, you know, whatever, and and sort of look at it on a program by program basis. We need to actually put a structure in place that will encourage these outcomes and then force Congress to ultimately make those determinations. So, so, um, 
to, to the short answer to your question is I do think there is some appetite there. Uh, you know, it's just we're at the very early stages of sort of having that discussion. All of this does not sound very promising. <laughs> I've, I've got to say, uh, are, are are there any are there any areas where uh, you think there is bipartisan support for spending cuts? I know that uh, Chris Edwards points to the farm bill as uh, one opportunity to restrain spending. Yeah, and there's been there's been some optimism in the area of uh, of you know flood insurance reform. Uh, so perhaps there's some some benefits there. I, I you know the farm bill is always a tricky issue, as you know, um, and it's sort of a an unholy alliance between you know those who who want to see more uh, more SNAP funding and uh, and and you know more in terms of crop insurance. Um, so uh, what what do we just explain for the benefit of listeners? Explain what is the uh, the problem, the political slash benefit slash problem of of the farm bill when it comes to trying to alter it in some way. Yeah, I mean, so so the farm bill is is basically uh, it combines two things. It combi- combines uh, price supports for for uh, you know essentially large agribusiness um, with uh, increased spending on food stamps, um, and so that's sort of what's always you know the latter part is what, what's always brought Democrats to the table. And uh, and you know as as we know, I mean, uh, farming issues are not necessarily a straight up partisan issue themselves anyway, right? It tends to be more geographically driven, and so um, there have been attempts in the past to basically separate those two out with the idea being that then we can tackle them independently and perhaps make it easier to uh, be more fiscally responsible with respect to both of those programs. Um, you know, again, whether or not that happens, unclear at this point. But, um, you know, there there has been a strong push by, I think, a number of organizations. There's a pretty strong uh, outside coalition looking to to reform the Farm Bill. And there are a lot of great people who do who do good work on this issue. So I would actually echo uh, Chris's uh, sentiments on, with respect to, to ag policy. You know, there's at the same time there's a, a very strong pushback from those senators who are uh, who are from states that are very much dependent on on uh, federal agriculture funding. So um, you know, it's the same the same sort of issues that we deal with with respect to uh, you know Pentagon spending or entitlement spending or all these kind of the, you know kind of different areas where there are different interest groups. The same thing applies in the context of agriculture spending and that you know and how that will shake out is is you know too early to tell at this point, but uh, that is an area, an issue area that, that we've been doing some work on and, and uh, I think is, is, you know, there's some, some room for, uh, for optimism. There is, uh, I don't hope this isn't too far afield for you, but with uh, Jeff Sessions uh, announcing that he would be freeing up U.S. attorneys to prosecute uh, marijuana cases in states where it's been made legal, Congress has inserted riders into spending bills, essentially preventing the Department of Justice from, uh, in, in some cases, uh, prosecuting marijuana cases at the federal level um, in in those states. Is there any way that that do you think that that is going to hang up uh, any kind of spending bill going forward? I doubt it will hang up any spending bill. I mean, to be honest, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, with respect to to the marijuana issue, I mean, I think it's kind of a done issue for most Americans. And frankly, you're seeing that with respect to the response from Congress. I mean, you know, it's not like uh, you know the entire Republican caucus rose up and was like, "Good job, Jeff Sessions." So, um, you know, I think there's, uh, I, I don't really see that being much of an issue at all. Uh, and you know, I think that that you know, while we may not have. Uh, Every member of Congress sort of coming out and you know being strong on on cannabis policy. Uh, I do think that we've we've sort of already passed that tipping point, and so I'm not I'm not too concerned about it. All right. Uh, what about uh, FISA reform? That's something that may be hanging up 
uh, spending going forward. Yeah, it could be. I mean, you know, we're in this kind of situation where we have perpetual CRs happening all the time. And, you know, from a fiscally conservative perspective, it's both good and bad, right? I mean, in in theory, the the uh, the budget process exists and, and should be followed. Um, in in practice, um, oftentimes when when sort of standard budget process is followed, uh, we end up with more spending, right? We end up with deals to raise the caps, and 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 that's not what any of us on, on our side uh, really wants. And so, uh, you know, I'm I don't really have too much of a problem, I guess, with uh, uh, with continuing CRs. I mean, it does create a lot of issues with respect to, for example, you know. Um, uh, being able to plan for future for future spending, but from the standpoint of sort of overall numbers, it keeps them lower than they probably would be otherwise. Um, so, you know, whether or not any one of these individual things uh, holds it up is hard to say. I think the the bigger factor that's sort of dictating all of this is you know November twenty eighteen, right? You have what will be many contentious primaries taking place across the country. Um, and then, you know, if you believe the sort of, you know, expert prognosticators at this point, the the signs are that, you know, sort of the generic Democrat uh, is is better positioned than the generic Republican. Now, a lot can happen between uh, now and, and November, but that's sort of the fear. And so, um, you know, how they exactly structure a, a spending package um, is, uh, is, I think, going to be more determined by, by those sort of electoral concerns than it will by, you know, any sort of, uh, you know, individual uh, policy writers. And, 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 of course, we also have, you know, the debt limit discussion coming up again, at, you know, later this year. And so, um, so there's a lot of these things that, that Republican leadership and, uh, is going to have to deal with uh, in the run-up to, to November. And obviously their incentives are all on the side of pushing it off as far as they possibly can so that this does not become an issue around, uh, around election time. Jonathan Bidlack is president of the Coalition to Reduce Spending. And now a special thank you to someone who gave during our podcast sponsor program. Mr. Sedita, thank you so much for your patron-level support of the Cato Institute and of this podcast. It means the world to us that the Cato Daily Podcast listeners value the work of Cato so much. And as always, thank you for listening.